0: If I were to ask you guys to complete this sentence, how would you complete it? My aim in life is... What would you say right after that? My aim in life is... Boom, boom, boom. If you had to boil it down to one word, my aim in life is... Maybe some of you would say success. My aim in life is fame. My aim in life is approval. My aim in life is achievement. My aim is wealth. Whatever it may be, there there, you could boil it down to something. What would it be if you had to say what your aim is? You see, your aim in life will determine your priority. Your aim in life, your priority in life is your life's principle. It is something that influences and colors in so many facets of your life and your walk and your actions and your words and all of that stuff. And everybody, whether you want to admit it or not, has a life principle. Everyone has an aim. Everybody is working and walking into a direction. And this life principle directs, like I said, so many things. It confronts the choices that we make. It confronts the the way that we portray ourselves, the identity that we amass, and all of that stuff within the daily, everyday details of our lives. The choices uh, determined by this life principle. For example, if your aim is to have as much fun as you possibly can. If your aim is hedonistic in nature, then when you're presented with invitations, you will pick the one that gives you the best chances of having the most amount of fun that you could ever have. If your life's principle is security, then when presented with choices, you will always pick the one that is the safest bet because your aim is to be comfortable and secure. That's what you want to do. Every person has a dominant value that directs their lives. And for some people, it's comfort. For other people, it might be pleasure. For others, it might be success. For others, still, it might be fill in the blank. And this principle will drive you. So, as we look around today and just get a litmus test and, and, and take a pulse at the culture and society around us, it doesn't take us too long for us to look around and see and acknowledge that the world is getting more and more divisive. is not. It's getting more and more hostile. While everyone is pursuing their own aim and pursuing their own purpose and their own principle and their own desire, uh, anger and hostility is gripping people. It's gripping the public square and gripping our public feeds. Anger, hostility, this divisiveness, it strains to infiltrate our homes, our relationships. And it even finds its way into our churches. It finds its way into church. And amid all this vitriol, amid all of this stuff, as we approach Valentine's Day on Tuesday, or as some of you will know, Singles Awareness Day, um... As we approach Valentine's Day and the concept of, of love and, and, and all of that good stuff, I'm reminded of Jesus' words. Because Jesus said this when he called us to be different. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are to also love one another. So that by this all will know that you are my disciples. Love should define us. Love should mark us. Or as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14, let love be your greatest aim. Let love be your greatest aim. Make love your greatest aim today. This morning, if you turn with me to the book of 1 Corinthians, I want you to go to chapter 13. I want to be very practical about uh, this critical life principle, this critical aim that is something that should be part of our lives. For it's absolutely indispensable if we are to be what God has called us to be, if we are going to fulfill the commandment, not the suggestion, but the commandment that Jesus has left us. This new commandment I give you, that you should love one another. It is absolutely indispensable. Let's explore 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and why we should seek to grow in love. If you're ready, say amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for this opportunity. Lord, I thank you that the Patriots are not in the Super Bowl today, that we are in the house of God, and we're here for a purpose and a reason. Lord, I pray that you would move upon us and that you would mark us. Lord, I pray this because this world desperately needs men and women who know God, who have found freedom, and who's making a difference. Lord, help us in your precious name. Amen. Amen. Why should we grow in love? The first reason that I find here in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, let's read with me verse 1. If I speak in the the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The first reason why we are to grow in love is because without love, all I say is ineffective. Everything that I say is ineffective without the guiding aim, the guiding principle of love. He's saying that all I am is just white noise. All that I am, all that I amount to, everything that comes out of my lips is all a clashing cacophony of sound that signifies, that means, that results in nothing. My words, no matter how beautiful, no matter how eloquent, no matter how articulate they may be, it could be the very language of angels. It could be like something that when I speak, you know, song bursts out in the background and everybody is jaw-dropped, mind-blown, all of that. But if it is devoid of love, it means nothing. It amounts to nothing. We're very impressed with communication styles today. There's a lot of people that communicate in the, in the day and age of information and, and YouTube and Twitter and, and all sorts of social media, TikTok and all whatever, we can just, you know, curate for our lives. All these speakers and people, politicians, leaders, pastors, you know, communicators, TED Talk speakers, and all of these folks that have an incredible gift of communication can speak so eloquently. We can hang on their very words. They could be on TV or on these mediums, and we just are enamored by those words. But I tell you, as Paul is speaking here, God is not impressed with all the eloquence within our speech he's impressed by what is guiding the words and what is flowing out of our hearts Amen. god cares about not how it's being articulated but you know in the words that that amount it but he cares about the motivations behind it he cares about you know what what is driving it what what lies behind it Even if it's not said in the most articulate and most eloquent of way, it could be even crude. But if the heart behind it is a deep love, then it's something that he finds worthy. No matter how eloquent, no matter how brilliant we may be, Christians will be ineffective without love. See, have you ever found this possible? That you may win an argument, but you lose your friend. You could win the fight because of the words that you say. They may be true. They may be right. You may have said it in the best way that they cannot be refuted. But in the process of exerting your prominence, your eloquence, your beauty in the words that you speak and the arguments that you've mounted, you lost the very person you're trying to pursue. I'm reminded of, of the woman who lost her child and brought the charge before King Solomon and said, this is my child and, and, and he has died. And, and the two women are fighting over this one child that is alive because they rolled over the child in the middle of the night. They slept with the, the kid in the same bed and now they're fighting over the child that is alive. The mother who wasn't the mother was so ready to win the argument and she was so poised to say that this is my child and she put forth her, her speech and her accusations that the other one is lying, all of these things. And Solomon said, all right, fine, here we go. You want to win the argument. You want to win the situation. Get me a sword. Let's cut this child in half and both of you can have a piece. To which the mother of the child, the actual one who was telling the truth, says this, please, no, give him to her. We could win the argument but lose the person, lose the point, miss out on the substance, miss out on the bottom line, what is most important and critical. See, there's a temptation for us as we look at the gifts that God has given us because he has given the church many, many gifts. He's given us many abilities. He's imparted his wisdom and his uh, knowledge into our lives and his Holy Spirit empowers us to do exploits and incredible things. But here's the temptation that many people who have this gift of eloquence, this gift of speaking may have is that we can take that very gift and we can corrupt it to the point where all we care about is getting our way. And we then use our words to belittle someone else. We then use our words to bully somebody else. We use our words to put other people in their places. Instead of using the very words that God gave us to build up and edify and lift up and encourage and love and challenge and sharpen one another. I know this does not happen in church, right? It absolutely does not. Everyone that's part of a ministry, everyone that's ever participated, especially here at CIC, every word that we ever speak to every person that we ever encounter is always words of edification and words to love. God help us. We are to grow in love because all that we say is ineffective. Paul is saying, I could speak the very language of angels, but I would just be a clanging cymbal. You know, I was was really tempted to have someone sit in the drums all throughout service and every once in a while I just hit that thing. But I figured that by the end of it, you guys would probably drive, you know, be driven insane and want to stone me by the end of service. But I want you to just picture that. You're operating in this gift and you're devoid of love. That's what you are. And maybe we'll put up with that for a little bit. You might put up with somebody who is very articulate and very, you know, um uh- able to to craft these arguments but after a while it gets old after a while you can't put up with it there are men and women that i've looked and i've admired in times past and i've said wow they can just argue in this way and they can defend this cause and they can speak this and that but as the time goes on and i look at the rhetoric in their language and and the platform that they have built and the aftermath of what i see like it's it's not edifying I've been turned away by some people who have incredible knowledge and insight and can speak in an argument in an incredible way. But when I walk away feeling like you just cut me down so many different ways, it's like you're, you're having a conversation with somebody and they've slapped you across the face so many different ways. And after you, and in the moment, you don't realize it. But when you walk away, you're like, oh, wait, that's what that meant? Ouch. Is that the point? First reason we are to grow in love is because everything I say is ineffective. In a marriage, in a relationship, isn't this the case? We could say so many things. We could be right. We could have all the facts. But how I've said it to my spouse, how I've said it to my children, has made everything that was absolutely true and absolutely right. And I was in the right has made it ineffective and instead it has built a wall between me and my spouse, me and my child, because it was devoid of love. Second reason that Paul says that we are to grow in love, if we are going to be Christians marked the way that God has called us to live and be, marked by love, Verse 2 If I have the gift of prophecy and I can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, but I'm devoid of love, I am nothing. Without love, all I know is incomplete. Everything I know is incomplete without love. That means that I can understand the whole book of Revelations. I can know what all the horns of of the head of the beast is and what the dragon and every seal and every word and everything. I can look at the book of Daniel and look at the seals and, and, and the scrolls that were sealed that was to be put away for a time that no one should have known. God could reveal all of that wonderful stuff to me. And if I have no love, it means nothing. I could have all this information and all of this incredible intellect, a brilliant, genius mind. But if I am devoid of love, I have nothing if I am able to come here to this pulpit and explain all the mysteries of the gospel, all the mysteries of God's word and connect details from here and there and show you the Easter eggs in Revelations that connects to every other part of the scriptures in the Old Testament and New Testament and bring you all of these things, but if I explain it in a way and I bring it to you without love, that means nothing. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't study the word, that we shouldn't know the Bible, that we shouldn't grow in knowledge. If you have an incredible mind, a brilliant mind, amen, praise God. If you are a genius, your IQ is up there and you have all this knowledge and all this ability, you get revelations from the Lord, amen, stoke it. Fan it into flames, steward that gift, continue to grow in it, do everything to get better at it, but add love to it, add love to it. See, I can have more degrees in the thermometer. I can have more titles attached to my name that you can possibly say in a single breath. But if I'm lacking love, all of that means nothing. If I'm a walking Bible, if I'm a working genius, if I'm brilliant, if I could memorize the whole New Testament, if I could do all of these things, I can take a theological point and split it in so many different ways and present that to you and do all of these things. If I do it without love, without being motivated by God, in love, then I've just wasted a lot of time. I'm incomplete. 1 Corinthians 8.1. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. The Bible says it's better to have the right heart than to have the right mind, the right head. Now, I think that we can uh, you know, have correct doctrine. We can interpret the Word of God, and we should do so correctly. We shouldn't take things out of context and be you know, um, sharing things that do not make sense and is not what God intended, but we need the Holy Spirit to You know, keep us tethered to love because otherwise it does not matter how much we know. Someone once says, It doesn't matter how much you know, it matters how much you care. Because people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. We need to be anchored in love. And stop and think about this. Like, it's incredible if you look at human history and you look at all that we have been able to amass and complete. I was just uh, researching earlier this week and hearing some, some videos. Um, you know, there, there's right now technology that does, you know, A, artificial intelligence that can take somebody's voice and use somebody's voice that is not actually speaking And make that person's voice say all of these different things. Mark Zuckerberg, for instance, uh, fired a bunch of different people from his company. I don't know what the issue was and how he didn't agree with them. But he was able to take AI and utilize the voice of Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump had a reality TV show at one point. The Apprentice. And a famous line that he would say on that show is, you're fired. He took... All of these employees re- sent them an email that had something very specific and customized spoken to them, the person's name, their department, whatever, and then it said, you are fired, all in the voice of Donald Trump. That might be humorous. I think that's a little scary. There's AI technology. I was uh, reading about this girl who was, who was a, a, a streamer on Twitch who has a mass following, who has never put herself out there in any way sexual or physical, has not you know, uh, given her, her her appearance to be in any uh, form of the idea or thought process in that vein. There's people who utilize and sell their bodies online and amass a, a following of people uh, Because they want to show their skin and show off their goods and show off their beauty and all of that. She has never done any of that stuff. But there was a person who took her face and put it on some AI technology. And then created a sexual scene of this person. And posted it all over the internet. And she was giving an interview through her Twitch channel in tears completely distraught because of the pain and the issue that this has brought upon her life. The havoc it's wreaked upon her life. How would a person do this? She's like, with everything I have, I will pursue everything to make this right and change the laws in this nation because I have no rights in order to ask anybody to take this down that was never true. I never did, but it has caused havoc within my life. We have more technology today than we've had ever before. And don't get me wrong, technology is, is a great enabler. The, the, the CEO of Google, uh, Sundar Peshai, he said this when he was given an interview. Technology doesn't solve humanity's problems. It always is naive to think so. This is the CEO of Google. Technology is an enabler, but humanity has to deal with humanity's problems. I think we're both over-reliant on technology as a way to solve things and probably at this moment over-indexing on technology as a source of all problems too. See, knowledge without love is incomplete. We can take knowledge and take all that this world has given us, the incredible things that we have at our disposal, but those things in and of themselves without love motivating us, compelling us to make it will not solve the problems that this world has. Jesus understood that. That's why he understood no matter how far you advance, no matter how intelligent you become, no matter how you guys will amass things and learn things and grow in things, there needs to be an element of love that has to step into humanity, Humanity and change it without love, knowledge is incomplete. So he stepped down from heaven to make knowledge complete. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. We might be tempted in our knowledge to believe that we are greater than someone else that we can do things within our own power. As knowledge amasses in us, we can become self-reliant, and that is a problem where God has told us time and time again through his word, shown us that we are to be ever dependent upon him, that he is the source of love that we are to draw from and emulate as we move forward in this life. If we're not depending on love every single day, the love of the Father And emulating that, we are going in a dangerous direction. Without love, all I say is ineffective. Without love, all I know is incomplete. But then Paul goes on and he says in verse 2, look at the end of it. If I have faith and I can move mountains but don't have love, I am nothing. Number three, love must be a priority because all I believe without love is insufficient. Without love, all I believe is insufficient. Did you know that when we finally stand before Jesus Christ, we are going to be evaluated on a different scale than what we evaluate people down here. When we stand before God, he has his own criteria in which he is going to look at our lives and say, good, not good. We might look at some mighty miracle and say, man, that's astounding. Look at what I have done. And many people will do, Lord, in your name, I cast out demons. In your name, I, 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 I worked miracles. In your name, Lord, I moved mountains. I did all of this incredible things. And it's wonderful. Did you see what he or she has done? Did you see what this preacher did and that preacher did or that person did and this faithful saint did? Did you see, Lord, all of this incredible things that were accomplished? By the power of God, it's astounding. Yet, even incredible faith that may lead to spectacular moments. The faith that, like we spoke about last week, might see the walls of Jericho come crumbling down. If you have not love engaged, intertwined in the midst of it all, the Bible says it does not count. Depart from me, I never knew you. If we don't couple our faith with love for God, if we do not couple the the exploits that we do in this world with love, and we're just trying to accomplish incredible things without love driving and motivating us, then you may accomplish something incredible, yes, but at the end of it, it will not matter for nothing. God puts a big fat zero on our ledger And he says, that means nothing. There's a lot of people who think that being a Christian is having faith, following Jesus, is believing certain things, and that's what I have to do. I believe in Jesus Christ. Okay, so big deal. Even the devils, the angels who fell out of heaven believed in him. The devil himself believes in him, believes in the word. Yes, that is true. They believe that the word of God is inerrant, and so they're working overtime in order to take as many people into the pit with them because they know their days are numbered. They know all of these things. It will be fulfilled. It will be produced. That's why when Jesus showed up, every time that the enemy met Jesus, please don't banish us yet. Please don't put us in our place yet, right? We've mentioned this before. A person can say, I believe, but all that they believe can be insufficient, It can be no good to them. It will not change their life. It will not change their heart. It will not create a legacy. It will not be dynamic because it is not centered on love. Christianity is a lifestyle. What God has called us to is not a religion, He's called us into a relationship. Relationship requires love. We are called to grow in love, it's not a set of rules. But it is the Spirit of God living in our lives. Galatians 5:6. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Do we express what we believe through love? That's why Jesus said multiple. He 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 shared with his disciples many times this principle. Like he's telling them, like you're concerned about petty things. You're fighting and squabbling over silly things. You you guys need to focus on what matters most. Jesus told us, we shall be known, marked by how we love one another. That's why he said, hey, you believe that God is this and that your relationship with him is solid and all that good stuff. Hey, by the way, you're coming to come worship me at the temple? Yeah, you remember your neighbor has a problem with you? Not even you have a problem, your neighbor has a complaint against you. Something that's outside of your control. They have a complaint against you. You don't have a complaint against them. They have a problem with you? Leave, leave, just drop it. Drop your offering. You're in the middle of the road, drop it. It's okay. If it's there when you get back, awesome. If it's not, no problem. Go back. Go be reconciled with your brother. Go be reconciled with your sister. Go deal with the problem. Go enter into a relationship once more of love and not division. Go enter into a relationship of camaraderie, community, unity, and instead of divisiveness and vitriol and anger and frustration, go be reconciled. Once you do that, come back and worship me. Some of us will come before God and say, Lord, I love you, I love you. And then God will be like, hey, uh, let me tell you about the scripture in Timothy that says, if you do not take care of your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. If you, you know, do not love your neighbor as yourself, if you did not go out there and give a cup of cold water to those who are thirsty, if you did not go visit the ones who are in prison, if you did not love your, if love was not part of your belief, it is insufficient. You've got some issues. Consider the attitudes that you have towards people. I'm not going to ask you if love marks you, but I want you to just take some inventory. Because that's one of the quickest ways for you to understand Am I in love? Do I have love within me? Am I growing in love? Just start thinking about your attitudes towards other people. Am I judgmental? Am I non accepting due to their choices? Do their decisions make me want to speak negatively about them? Do I lack zeal to reach people for Christ? Because if I'm not passionate to speak to other people about their eternal destination and what God has for them, that may tell me that my heart is lacking some love. Number four without love, all I give is insignificant. Paul says if i give away all i have but what but have not love i gain nothing without love everything i give is insignificant Now, he's not talking about tithing here. Paul was talking to a church in Corinth who had elevated the gifts of God, the gift of speaking, the gift of having experiences in the faith and and, and speaking in tongues and having enough faith to move mountains and see mighty miracles be be moved. Men and women who were so generous and giving of themselves, he he saw these people look at all these incredible giftings and they were elevating them above the position of love, above their station. They were more concerned about the gift than the gift given. And the relationship with the Father. He is talking something here about beyond tithing. He's talking about a person who's all in. You know, there are people who have left their entire estates. They've given away all of their fortunes. They have, you know, left it for somebody, some benevolent cause, some trust. They've put it all away, but they did it without being motivated by love. Their motivation was ulterior. Maybe if I do this, then they'll put my name on the side of a building. I do this, and they will name the the wing in the hospital after me and my family. I do this, and I'll be able to then say, oh, you know what? Oh, I gave you this gift. Now let me tell you what I think about the color of the building. Oh, I gave this, so let me tell you that I think you should do this this way. or that. Why? Because they have given out of a desire for control, not of a desire to love. They've given in order to be able to have influence, in order to be able to to pull the strings, in order to be able to be remembered and and be held in an impressive attitude in the eyes of men. They have given so that they could receive the reward from others. Kind of reminds me of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five. When the early church was being born, They were all together in one accord. They were given to the apostles' teachings, to the breaking of bread, to prayer, to fellowship with each other, to worship, to taking care of each other's needs. There was a man named Barnabas who went and sold a field. He sold something he had. He said, This is incredible. You guys need this. I'm selling my property. I'm giving my real estate away. Here you go, Peter, Paul, uh, Peter and James and all the apostles. Here it is. Let's take care of each other's needs. And people were being blessed. Ananias and Sapphira saw that and said, huh, okay, look at this, this Barnabas, this encourager. I want some of that accolade, some of those titles. They sell a property, they sell a field, they sell something, they get all the proceeds. It's theirs to sell. Nobody asked them to do that. They chose to do it themselves. They take the money and before they can show up before the apostles, they say, yeah, we made 100,000, but you know what, instead of 100,000, let's tell the apostles we made 80. Let's pocket 20 and keep it so that we can have a little reserve. So that we can have whatever, because really the goal is not to love. The goal here is to gain fame, to gain fortune, to gain appreciation in somebody else's eyes. And they give the 80. And in that moment, if you've read the scriptures, one of them comes before the other. The husband comes first, and then he goes and he says, This is what we made out of the prophet. Peter immediately, You're not lying to me, bro. You're lying to the Holy Spirit. And he's not joking around. The church is about to be born. There's some things that need to be solid right from the get-go. I'm sorry, but you're not lying to me. And in that moment, he falls dead. His wife shows up, not knowing what happened, not knowing what was done, what the Holy Spirit had orchestrated in that moment. Hey, did you guys actually sell this for 80000 Absolutely, that's what we did. Boom. Before that, he's like, the body of your husband just left here. You're not lying to me, you're lying to him. Boom. The motive was not right. See, if I give with the wrong motive, devoid of love, what I'm giving is insignificant. Could God have taken care of the needs elsewhere? Absolutely. He did it time and time again. God is faithful. He is the one who will use his people, redirect the, the cattle. On a th- he owns the cattle on a thousand hills, people. He owns it all. All the silver and gold is his. He will divert the wealth of the wicked into the hands of the righteous. He is able to provide. My God shall supply my every need. Paul says, I've learned to be content in wanting, in plenty, and in, in, in need. I've learned to be content in all things. God has provided for this man. He will provide for his church. If I am giving so that I could be recognized, so that my pastor can say, good job, you're a good giver. You've, You've taken care of so many needs in the church. If you give so that you can say to the IRS, look at all that I've given, give me my tax breaks, and that's why you give, you're missing out the point in giving. You're missing out the point of generosity. If you're giving in order to gain, then you're giving for the wrong reason. And somebody might be tempted to do it for all the wrong reasons. Proverbs 19, verse 17, whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. It is an incredible byproduct, but it is not our aim. We give because God has called us to be generous, to be loving, that's it. If he gives me anything back besides the breath that I will take next, then he's given me extra. Amen? Paul says you should grow in love because without love, all I accomplish is inadequate. Verse three, and if I were burned alive for preaching the gospel but didn't love others, it would be of no value whatever without love, all I accomplish is inadequate. He's saying that I can give you a list of very impressive accomplishments. And if you look at the life of the Apostle Paul, this man who, if you look at all of these five things, this man could speak so eloquently. He spoke before kings. He spoke before commoners. He spoke to different cultures. This is a man who says himself, I can speak more in the tongues than any of you. I desire, I yearn that you would speak in tongues, but I can speak it in more ways than you can. This is a man who knew a lot of things. He spent years and years being taught by Gamaliel, one of the greatest teacher of the time, one of the greatest schools of the time. He was a Jew of Jews. He was a learned scholar. He knew things. He could articulate things. He had moments in in ministry with the Lord. This was a man who gave of himself. He gave time and time again. He gave generously. He created offerings to take care of those who were in need. He himself did not receive so that he could give he did not burden the church he says i have become a tent maker by day and so that i would not be able to burden you and be able to then give back to the church to give back to others this is a man who did all of these things and you can even see him go through some incredible accomplishments and sacrifices a man who has been stoned many times, left for dead. A person who was shipwrecked who shipwrecked, and, and driven out of towns. A person who definitely faced persecution. It's incredible. He can say this, I, 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 if I, if I, if I. Why? Because he has walked it. I can give you a list of very impressive achievements. I can tell you how I've been imprisoned and Percy. all of those things. But the big deal is this, that I preach the gospel because I love people. I'm not doing all of these things so I can have a beautiful resume. I don't do all of these incredible accomplishments and incredible sacrifices. Why? Because I can then boast. I do it because I love people. I do it because love compels me. I do it because love, the King James says, constraineth me. It binds me, it motivates me. This gospel sets people free, and I love seeing people free. This gospel changes families, and I love seeing families set free. This gospel restores marriages, and I love seeing marriages run the course of time. I love seeing men married to the same woman, not married for years and years with a slew of spouses, but the same one that they started in their youth. I love seeing that, so I preach this gospel. I love seeing hearts of children being restored to their parents, so I preach this word. Amen. I love, so I do these things. Jesus says, there is no greater love than this, than he who lays down his life for a friend. See, some men and women have you know, decided that they want to sacrifice so that somebody else can see their sacrifice and say, wow, look at what you did. Like the Pharisees who would stand preaching in the public squares and praying and those who would elevate themselves in a place like, oh, look at me, look at the sacrifice. I'm fasting, I'm praying, I'm doing all these things and they are just trying to gain attention and the reward of public appreciation and admiration. God says, you've already received your reward in full. There are men and women who will sacrifice but they do so for the wrong reasons question is, does love compel you? Does Christ's love compel you? The apostle Paul was driven by such a love because he understood that Romans 5, and he wrote this, he says, but God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He has given himself away completely for no other reason other than the love that drove him. I'll do the same. In the world that we live in, where so much anger and hostility, so much infighting and issues, where people don't even have conversations with each other anymore, all we do is paint people in the other camp and we start to you know, put a profile on somebody else. Well, if they vote this way, they are this way, and this is everything that they believe. If they say this on social media, then this is what the caricature of their life is, and that's all it is, and I cannot have a dialogue with that person because they are on the other camp. We have all this division and divisiveness, anger and hostility, and we are missing out on what should build bridges. It's love. Love should say, even though you're on the other camp, on the other side, living in other choices, experiencing a different lifestyle, choosing decisions that God is not proud of or excited for, but my love that compels me to see you change by the power of God, not so that I can boast, but that God can be given glory, and God can step into your life and give you joy, hope, freedom, and assurance, can create for you a future, can give you an inheritance, can call you the very sons and daughters of God, the love of God. Love for me to see that happen is going to make me draw a bridge to you and and care less about everything that has been said, every spirit of offense, every word that you have spoken against me, everything that you have done that is wrong to me. I will build the bridge and come to you because love compels me. And that is needed in the church. We can sit in one pew and across the other aisle, there is somebody that we just cannot approach because there is no more love compelling and drawing us to one another. We are to be marked by love, church. How much does Jesus love you today? To the Ephesians, he was very clear. He told them that he loved tremendously. God loves us today with an infinite kind of love, with the love that is beyond all that we could ever ask or imagine, that he gave his life for us. He has sacrificed it all so that we could be made to enter in. God says that relationships are the most important thing. It's not our accomplishments. And honestly, when you go to heaven and you stand before the Lord, it's going to be the relationships and what we were able to orchestrate and create through relationships that God is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. We're not going to bring to him the title of our business. We're not going to lay before him all of the wealth that we accumulated. We're not going to lay before Jesus, you know, the different foundations that we established. We're going to lay before his feet the lives that have been impacted. Those who have come to know him and the power of his name because we were able to share his gospel. I'm going to invite the team to come and, and I'll invite you actually to stand with me as we close out today. There's more that can be said. Maybe we'll go into this a little bit more because this is a rich chapter on the topic of love. You might have heard this topic in this chapter when you go to a wedding, and it's an incredible thing, and that can apply to weddings, but you know what? He's talking to people in the context of relationship within the body of Christ, within the world, how we deal with one another. And so I want you to just fix this in your mind this morning. I can have the eloquence of an order. I could have the knowledge of a genius. I could have the faith of a miracle worker the generosity of a philanthropist. I could have the very resolve of a martyr, but if I don't love, then none of it counts. God will look at his accounting ledger and put a big fat zero next to my name. Some of us have learned in this time and in this life the chance that we have been given to work and and to take care of our needs and our families. Some of us have experienced something called retirement and and we've learned of, of saving money for the future. And imagine that we go through life and we're just pouring in money into a retirement account, hoping that one day we're going to stand in a place of security where we can draw from that investment, draw from that which we have deposited in the years and years and years of our working life. But imagine when you retire Whatever age that ends up being, 65, 70, 72, older, whatever. We go to draw on our 401Ks and our 403Bs and our retirement accounts, our IRAs and all those different things. We open up the account to take a disbursement and the balance is zero. How devastating would that be if you've deposited all these years You thought you were in the right. You're making the sacrifice. You are actually going without and setting something apart and saying, I will choose. Although I could live like this, I'm living like this so that later on I can be okay. You get to that moment and there's nothing there to draw from. Church, Jesus says, this one commandment I give you, that love one another so that the world shall know you're my disciples. We might get to Jesus one day thinking that we've made all these deposits, that we have all of this in our account. But if we show up to him that day and we say, Lord, I did this in your name, I did that in your name, and I did this for you, and I was this passionate in my relationship one on one with you, how sad would it be if he pulls up our account and says, I'm sorry. All you've compounded, the multiplication that I see here, the math that is here, it's zero times zero. There's nothing. I'm sorry. I don't know you. That terrifies me. I could have all of these things, but without love, I have nothing. Bill Clinton and his campaign had a sign in his campaign room that said, It's the economy, stupid. Because he was running on that platform. Let's speak about the economy. Let's keep that front and center. And his campaign was able to win the bid. I believe that God has a different campaign slogan. His slogan is, the priority is love. Never forget it. Never forget it in your relationships with your parents. Never forget it with your relationship with your spouse, with your kids, with your brothers and sisters, with the very church, with the person that is a stranger to you. Never forget it, that the priority is love. If you want to improve your love life, then communicate with love. Give with love, demonstrate in faith through love, a heart of love. Somebody (laughs) said, Communication has been cut off in my family. There is no more communicating between me and my spouse. We don't do this anymore. We don't experience this anymore in my home with my kids. There is no more atmosphere of love here. And the reason it's been cut off is because love has been removed. You could give your friends, your family, your spouse, your kids, you can give them everything. You could give that person everything they could ever ask or imagine, the house that they wanted, the new car, the closet full of clothes, the incredible vacations, the incredible adventures, all of these wonderful kids even, the dog, whatever. But if love is not there, how many have swallowed the bitter pill of going through a divorce because amidst all of the stuff and all of the gifts and all of the blessings, there was a home without love. Life minus love equals a big fat zero. I'll close out with this. One day in Chicago, a little boy, trudging along on a cold wintry day, he turned into a service station. And these were the days where the service station had open gas stoves. I'm hoping it wasn't a secure spot, right? Because gasoline and open stoves. So the little boy went over and he was warming his feet. He had an old pair of ragged tennis shoes, the kind that has holes in them. And as he was warming himself, the man at the station, he came to the boy and started asking him some questions. Hey, son, where are you going today? The boy replied, Mr., I'm going to church. It's Sunday after all, so I'm heading to Moody Church. The man said, Oh, that's good, son. That's a great thing. Where do you live, by the way? And after discovering the boy's address, the man retorted, Son, I don't understand, especially on a day like today, a cold, wintry day, blistering winds, all of these things. It's awful outside. Why would you pass by several churches to go to the Moody Church? Now hear this. That little boy looked up and said, Because mister, they love little boys like me at the Moody Church. What would our families look like? What would our community look like? What would this very church look like if we could love like that? They love little boys like me at the Moody church. I'm loved like that in my home. I'm loved like that in my workplace. I'm loved like that in the marketplace. What would it look like? If we could love like this, I think that there would be a world, not only marked, but transformed by the power of love. Set free, changed, hopeful, marching to the beat of a different drum. Accomplishing things that should not even be possible. That's the power of love. If you could bow your heads and close your eyes with me, Lord, I don't know what giftings, what aims, what pursuits, what principles in a room like this with people, Lord God, reaching from different demographics and backgrounds life journeys for those lord god who are watching today and those watching on another moment online i don't know father what is the aim what is the pursuit what is the gift that has been elevated to a place of prominence and pride but you do lord i just invite you to speak through your holy spirit to challenge that which has been loftier than your love elevated above your calling that has taken the pride of place, the prominence, the priority. Allow repentance, Lord Jesus, to reign. Father, flow in forgiveness to your people today. Father, help my very heart, Lord Jesus, to be anchored to what you call. The commandments would not fall, Lord Jesus, mute upon my ears. But Lord, that it would change and compel, constraining me, constraining your church. Father, I ask you for one practical thing. Today, reveal, if there is a person that we need to go speak to, today I make the phone call. Lord, if there's an apology that needs to be articulated, today it is happening. If there's a post that needs to go back and be deleted, Lord, today, if there's an email sitting in our drafts list that is about to be going, today it is deleted. Father, I pray that if there is a a word of criticism that was spoken earlier, that Lord God, that right now is the moment of a prayer for forgiveness. Right now is the moment, Lord, where you are going to articulate a prayer within us for the blessing of that other individual. Lord, I don't know what needs to happen, but speak practically to your church today. Lord, where we have failed to show your love, challenge us, Father. Where we have, Lord God, hoarded the blessing, I pray, Lord Jesus, amplify us where motivations have led us in deceitful ways, I pray, Father, that you would correct us. Father, and for the person that has not yet experienced the incredible grace, the overflowing love that is available as we come into relationship with you, Jesus. I pray that today you would grip that heart, Father. If there be any person in this place, in this broadcast, that would want to say yes to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, I need more of your love in my life. I need to experience Your love, I don't feel like I'm worthy to receive love. Like I have reasons why I am inadequate, why I am insufficient, incomplete, in, you know, where it, it I'm broken. Today is the day that you can change that and begin a journey and say, Lord, I need you. I want you. I want to become open and understanding. I want to experience. I want to taste and see and know that you are God. And that you can change me. And you can save me. That you can forgive me. That you can wipe me clean. If that's you, I want you to just lift up a hand. I want you to just pray a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me as you are the only forgiver. You lived a perfect life. You died a sinless death. You were buried, but then you rose again. You conquered death. The grave and hell. I believe you are Lord. I believe you are Savior. And I accept you as mine. Help me. Guide me. Lead me in your precious name. Amen if you prayed that prayer for the very first time I want to say hello to you right after this so as we dismiss I just want you to come on up here I just want to pray with you personally if you've said this prayer truly recommitting your heart to Jesus because you've walked away and you've stepped away from faith and you've lived in your own for a while and you're praying this genuinely then I want you to also come brother sam if you could be available to pray with those who want prayer the altars are always open we're here to encourage one another love each other and see the mighty works and deeds of god work in our lives and minister hope in our hearts so if you need prayer i invite you to come now if you are praying the sinner's prayer and asking jesus into your heart i want you to come to me for the rest of you may god bless you May he strengthen you. May his Holy Spirit empower you to go out there and love a world that is in desperate need of love. We love you. And for those of you part of Growth Track, we'll be there at 12 o'clock. We will start. You got seven minutes. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Let's praise God together.